And uh, I hope to repent of that this morning. Because you don't need to hear my thoughts. I'm not that smart. I don't like that you laughed at that. Uh, I hope that you hear the words of God. What it, this is such a significant moment. The, when you walked in through these doors at probably like 10.05 this morning, uh, you, you walked into pro, a, a promise from the Lord fulfilled. As you look around, you see the fruit of our Savior's sacrifice. You look at the fruits of his wealth. People who are sinners saved by grace who will spend eternity with God. Eternal life, fullness of fellowship with him. And as we're about to hear from his word, think of how significant that is. This right here is not just some words that, 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 that are, are good to hear because there's some good life principles in here to help us live a happy and healthy life. No, this book contains the words of eternal life. And so that is what we pray you hear today. We're in Mark chapter 10. So if you have a, a Bible with you or if you've got a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and turn or click, tap, whatever you do to get there. Mark chapter 10 and we're going to be looking at verse 17 through 31. Mark 10, 17 through 31. But to provide context, I'm actually going to read verse, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, well, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Oh God, may we be the people this morning that do not walk away sorrowful, but may we walk away amazed at your mercy. God, we do not deserve this time. We do not deserve the next breath that comes out of our lungs. We do not deserve the blessings that you give us. So God, may we be humble as a child and receive the kingdom with meekness, submitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus. God, I pray that in our weakness to understand spiritual things, you would break through that and help us to hear you clearly. It's in Christ's name 
we pray. Amen. Well, many years ago, uh, my former pastor, Pastor Tony Rose of LaGrange Baptist Church, the church that I grew up in, was studying for uh, that Sunday sermon, sitting in his office, and he heard a knock at the door. And it jolted him out of his study, and he walked over to the door and noticed a man he did not know. And so he's a little cautious when opening the door. He didn't expect this man. He didn't know who he was, but he's a pastor, so you know you got to let him in, right? And so he opened up the door, and the man, he started to say hello, and the man just kind of walked right past him and sat down in the chair. So you can imagine he's going, okay. And so he walks over, and as he's sitting down, he goes to ask the man, uh, you know, what can I do for you? And the man very abruptly says, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I want to know. How much is it going to take? I, I, don't, I don't know what you're, what you're talking about. How much is what going to take? And this was the 90s, so the man reached out his checkbook, <laughs> laid it down. Checks, college students, checks are pieces of paper that have numbers on them, and you write to give people money. <laughs> and he laid it down, and he, and he pointed to it, and he said, how many numbers do I need to write down on here to be right with God? See, this man identified the right problem. He wasn't right with God. But his solution was totally off. So far from, from possibility, he believed that what his hands could produce, money, was what would save him. And for many of us who grew up in the church, we look at that and we go, that's crazy. You, you think that your money is what's going to save you? You're sinful. You're against God. You think you can pay him off? You're going to bribe God? That's sin in and of itself. It doesn't seem like a good idea. And, 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 and those of us who, who, who see that and we go, oh, like that, that guy's not, he doesn't get it. We kind of maybe smirk a little bit, like, oh, well, he, he needs to know the gospel, like, what a fool he is. And those of us who would doctrinally affirm, theologically affirm that it, salvation only comes uh, by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone, practically, functionally live just like this guy did, where we find our treasure not in the kingdom of God, but in our own kingdom, and we are all at risk of doing that. So we pick up here in, uh, in verse 17 into kind of a, an awkward story. Jesus is leaving Capernaum, and, 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 and he's traveling down to Jerusalem. And as he's traveling down to Jerusalem, he says, and as he was setting out on his journey, the text says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus is packing his bags. He's going on a long trip. To go from Capernaum to Jerusalem was a really long way. So he's loading up his donkey or camel or whatever he was riding to, to head down that way. And as soon as he goes to get on, this man bursts through the crowd and slides baseball, you know, head first, Pete Rose style, it, to his knees, or to, on his knees, to his feet, and looks up at him and says, what can I do to be saved? What can I do to inherit eternal life? This is kind of an awkward situation. This man is, is showing Jesus the utmost respect here. Uh, bowing down before someone was, was the way you showed great honor, only reserved for the highest moral authority, teachers of God's law. And this man is showing that kind of respect to Jesus. But who is this man? Well, 
of the four gospel accounts we have, three of them talk about this particular instance. And, they, and, and we identify him with three different, uh, differing uh, adjectives. He's rich, he's young, and he's of the ruling class. So he has a lot of money. He's an up-and-comer in, in, in the religious and political circles. He's, he's a mover and shaker. He's making things happen. People are respecting him. He's the guy that walks into Capernaum Coffee, and everybody kind of stands up and shakes his hand like, hey, we're so glad that you're here. His face is on billboards. He's passing his business card. He's a moral, upstanding guy, if the, the, the kind of guy that if you have a daughter who's of marrying age, you'd go, hey, can you come over to my house and meet my daughter? He's that guy. He's well-respected in his community. And, he, and, he, and so he runs up, and he says something really weird to Jesus. He says, good teacher. Now, to us, this just seems like a, 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 you know, something you would say out of respect, right? Like, you know, you're talking to a doctor, you, you call them doctor. You're, if you're talking to the governor, you would say Governor Bevan or President Trump. It's almost like it's a title, but that's not what's going on here. See, the Jews believed that good was reserved for God alone. That's it, that, that, there's, that, that people are not good. So for this man to call Jesus good was a really odd thing. And so uh, it, it wasn't a thing that would have ever been said, really. And so we can, what one could assume that he's saying something he believes about Jesus, that he is actually good because he is God, but that's not what's going on. Because in his address, he's not revealing what he believes about Jesus, but what he believes about himself. We'll explain that, we'll see that as he continues. See, he's, he goes on to, to ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He seemed, he's being genuine here. He, he realizes there's something in him that hasn't quite made it yet. This eternal life is, a, is not just a life that lasts forever, but a life that is full of, of fellowship with God. It's a God life. It's, it's less about the quantity of life you have. It's more about the quality of life, one that is in, in union and harmony with God. And he, so he's sincerely asking, what, this is what I want. How do I get it? But by his question, he reveals where his heart is. He calls Jesus a good teacher. What must I do? What can, what can these hands do to, to gain eternal life? He puts his morality and his own goodness on par with that of God's. He believes that he is good. And Jesus responds to him in a way that we would not expect, in a way that targets his issue. Verse 18 Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And, and, and so we wouldn't think that Jesus would, would do this. Why does he respond in this way? Why does, he, uh, why does he not go immediately to the gospel? How do I inherit eternal life? You're a sinner. You need, you need the, my, the, the grace of God in your life. I'm the savior of the world. Trust in me. Follow me. Why does he not go there immediately? It's because that would have been unintelligible to this young man. He would have no idea what Jesus was talking about because he believes he's inherently, basically good. And so Jesus challenges that, that notion. He's cutting to the core of this young man's problem, that he has a superficial view of goodness and a low view of the holiness of God. See, Jesus is confronting head-on the story that this man is telling himself. And he does that by confronting him with the law. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. And he said to him, 
Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So now the window to this young man's soul is blown wide open. And we see that he has a superficial, surface-level view of goodness, of what it means to be good. He has a low view of the holiness of God. He thinks he is on par with the goodness of God, or at least can attain uh, that, that level of goodness. And he shows he has a prideful delusion that he can earn his way uh, by obeying the law. See, he genuinely believes that he has obeyed the law, and there's, there's really no reason to, to discredit that, to think he's lying. By his interpretation of these laws, he has done it. If that's, if that's all it takes, I've already arrived. I've done all that already. I've not committed adultery. I've not murdered any, anybody. I haven't defrauded anyone. In fact, I even give money to people who need it. But see, here's what he's doing is he's not coming to Jesus to know the truth. He's coming to Jesus to be affirmed in his own version of the truth. Right? He's, he's expecting Jesus to affirm the, the, his story, the thing that he believes, that he's basically a good person. And what does Jesus do? See, Jesus has been confrontational. Why do you call me good? So we would expect him to continue that confrontation and saying, you're not good. Why do you think you're good? But no, he... He, he kind of rides, uh, he, he kind of enters into this guy's story and goes, okay, you think you're good? Let's find out. You know the commandments. And then he goes on to, to saying six of the ten commandments. Why does he only do that? Because this man thinks he's good. He thinks he loves God. He thinks that he loves others because he's not murdering anyone. He's not defrauding anyone. So he thinks he's a loving person. Jesus hones in on the six commandments that deal with loving others. That, that's what he knows that that's this guy's issue. He doesn't love others. He doesn't love God. He loves himself. And so he's going to prove that to this rich young ruler. See, he's unveiling the rich young, rich young ruler's heart to himself. All the commandments are intrinsically connected that they're all connected. Out of a love for God, we love what God loves. And so if you love God, you will love people. Loving people is evidence that you genuinely love God. And this man believes that he's done that by his, aff by, by his affirmation of him saying, all these I have done, I've kept from my youth. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. And that is, what story are you telling yourself? Are you believing the story that you are basically good? You know, I, I'm faithful to my wife. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going out on her. I don't, I, I, I'm not lazy at work. I show up on time. Sometimes I'm even early when traffic's good. You know, around 2 o'clock I get a little sleepy, but who doesn't? Like, you know, I still try. I don't yell at my kids much. I'm basically a good person. I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not doing all kinds of things, you know. But, and, 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 you know, really, I would even say that, that maybe even most people are generally good. But, but we, that's not true. We know that's not true. On Easter Sunday, 300 people were blown up by terrorists. That ain't good. It's wicked. But, and we look at those people and go, well, yeah, that's a crazy, of course, the, that, those people are, are definitely wicked. I'm not that bad. Not as bad as those people. 
But see, what we're doing there is we're doing justification by comparison. Affirmation of, of our own goodness by comparing ourselves to other people. But there's a problem with that. There's no assurance to be found there. If you're comparing yourself to other folks' goodness, you're comparing yourself to other sinners. So of course you're going to be better than some of them. And you're not going to be as good as others. And so if, if complete goodness is over here and wickedness is over here, where are you on the spectrum between goodness and badness? And how do you know that? And even if you kind of, can kind of figure out where you are in relation to the, the good and the bad, is that enough to be right with God, there's no assurance. This rich young ruler proves that. He believes himself to be basically good, but there's doubt in his mind. Ah, maybe I haven't quite made it yet. The fact that he comes to Jesus for affirmation of his goodness shows that he's un uneasy about it. It's like rolling around in mud and then walking up to another person who's rolled around in mud and being like, I'm not as dirty as they are. Well, you're still dirty. You're still covered in mud. It doesn't matter if they're more dirty than you. You're still dirty. The other story the true story, the story the Bible reveals to us is that we are not good. We are wicked, sinful people who are ultimately for ourselves against God at all costs. In the Bible, we are the villain. That's the story we don't like to hear. That's the story that, that, that we go, oh, that's not true. But that's the only story that is true. And this rich young ruler pro proves uh, that, that he is not good because he's all about himself. Even in the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life for myself? And Jesus starts to give him this, uh, gives him a, a, an opportunity to deny this. And what we see is that he fails. And Jesus shows him what he really trusts in. Verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. See, Jesus has deep compassion for this man. He, he's broken hearted for him. He goes, oh, you missed it. You missed what I'm trying to tell you. He pities him. And see, he tells him, okay, you've been asking me for the one thing that you can do. Here it is. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. It's a huge ask. Why does Jesus do that? Why does he do that? Jesus doesn't say that to anybody else. He goes up to people who are, who are blind beggars, and, and, and they come to him, and they plead with him and say, say heal my sight. They know who he is. They get who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's, who's come. And he immediately grants them their request with no other conditions. So why does he do this to this man? Well, it's because he knows that this man has a God other than the true God. The first commandment is to have no other gods before me. This man believes that he loves God. Jesus is going to show him, no, that's not true. You have another God, and it's money. Now, a real quick note, uh, you're not, th this man would not be saved by giving all his money to the poor. That's not what would save him. That's not the one big act that, 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 would, that would rescue his soul. The, the hinge point for salvation is not in go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. It's come, follow me. Because see, if this man was truly understanding who God is, he would realize that he's looking eternal life in the face, in the face of Jesus. 
And he would have followed Jesus because Jesus is the one who is God. And his selling all that he has to the poor would have been the evidence that he understands who Jesus is and what he has done for him. But instead, his, his response is not one of faith and trust in Christ. It's one of selfish abandonment of Christ. He's disheartened by the saying. Verse, verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So here we see that the love of counterfeit wealth shows a counterfeit love for God. Everyone would have looked at this man and said he loved God. He was a good guy by all external accounts. And, and, and the reason why he's so depressed here is, is, uh, is because his entire perspective, his whole worldview, his paradigm is completely flipped upside down. He's, in a, he's, he's now in an identity crisis. He's believing this thing about himself that he's good, that he loves God. And now he's confronted with the reality that when given the opportunity to do the one thing that would prove his love for God and his entrance into the kingdom, he realizes that he loves himself and his kingdom more. He doesn't love others like he thinks he does. And what he's doing here in reality is trading an everlasting kingdom for his temporal, small, little kingdom. He is about himself. See, his stuff gave him godlike status in the world. Notoriety, fame, glory. He had power. He could go and do what he wants and pay, buy whatever he wants. He thought he was God, and he refused to submit to the real God. This word sorrowful here is similar to what would be used to, to, to describe someone who's just lost a loved one, who, who is mourning the loss of a family member. And Jesus shows him that his hope is not in God, but himself. He's proved, uh, and, he, and he's proved this by rejecting uh, the words of Jesus, that he, the rich young ruler, is not worth trusting in. And Jesus watches this man walk away and responds. And so the first thing that we see is that, counter, is, that, is that loving counterfeit wealth shows a counterfeit love for God. The second thing that Jesus would tell us is, is, is to not trust in the trash heap of counterfeit wealth because it leads to real poverty, to true poverty. Look with me in verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, almost in, in, in a frustrated outburst, a godly, righteous, frustrated outburst. He says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You can almost hear the pain and frustration in his voice. He's like, man, you were so close. You were so close. If you would have just trusted in me and followed me, you would have entered into to what you said you wanted, the kingdom of God. But instead, you, you decided to grab onto your earthly kingdom. And, what, and how do the people respond to this statement? Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, so Jesus realizes, okay, I don't think you guys heard me. And so he says again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter 
the kingdom of God. Jesus warns against the dangers of wealth using an, an almost comically ridiculous metaphor. He talks about a camel going through the eye of a needle. I remember being in grade school. We went to the zoo and uh, went to the camel exhibit. And, and, you know, when you're a kid, you look at a camel, you're like, oh, you're just a big dumb horse. Like, that's it's what you look like. <laughs> and, and you don't respect camels. Like, it's not an animal that you're not afraid of a camel um, until you make them mad. And this, this little girl, uh, I don't remember what grade I was in, young, she, she kept spitting at the camel because she heard that if you spit at a camel, it will spit back. Fun fact, if you spit at a camel and annoy it, it doesn't spit at you. It bites you. And so she's standing there, and the thing grabs her hair, and she gets pulled over. And so the brave young souls we were, we all, instead of like, you know, trying to help her, we're, we just bolted the other way. You know, Camels are huge, huge. And so it's a ridiculous notion to think a camel going through the eye of the needle, the people would have heard that and go, well, that's impossible. That's the point. It's impossible for people to enter, for, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, for a person who trusts in riches to enter the kingdom. And this is a hard saying. It's hard. Like it, it, there's a part of us that's like, ah, that's not really what he meant. Like, he's talking about, like, super wealthy people, right? And, 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 and so why does Jesus say this? Does money really keep you out of, out of the kingdom of God? If I make a certain amount of income, does that mean I'm not allowed to go into heaven? No. No. What Jesus is saying here is that it's impossible to get in the kingdom of heaven on your own. Across the board. Whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. He, that's why he says here, he says, he says, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God across the board for everybody. That's why, uh, that's why the, the, the disciples reacted the way that they did. They were in amazement. They're going, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. If the rich folks can't get in, what does that say about us? See, the way people viewed wealth back then is very similar, honestly, to the way that many of us view wealth today is they saw wealth as a sign of blessing from God, which it is. If you have stuff, praise God for it. He gave it to you. But, what, but they would take it even further. They would go, okay, if you're Jewish and moral and you have a lot of stuff, that means you have the stamp of God's approval on your life. So, so every, again, everybody looked at this guy and thought he was the real deal. He's the guy who's, who's going to be in heaven. He's the guy I should be like in order to guarantee my spot in the kingdom. And Jesus flips that whole thing around. And so these people are sitting there going, we're poor. How are we going to get in? Well, you're going to get in the exact same way the rich man is going to get in. But he does talk about money. Why does he talk about money? Jesus talks about money all the time. It's one of the things he, he, he talks about more than, than almost anything. And the reason why is because earthly wealth is one of the most dangerous things we can possess. It is. Why? Because it distracts us from the things of God. Money tends to cause us to overtrust ourselves, right? Like if you can make money, that means you have certain things in this life. You have power. There's a degree to which you have status. There's a degree to which you have security and safety in that. If I have so much money in my bank account, that means the bottom can fall out and I've still got a safety net under me, right? If, I, if I've got money, then I can, I can use that to buy things that get me what I want. It, it lures us into this false belief that we can be like God. 
That's what money can do. It, it is a concrete form of power. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that uh, some fairly famous rich celebrities are in a lot of trouble right now with this whole college admissions scandal. They've, they, what they did is they paid a lot of money to the right people at these prestigious universities to get their kids in the door who otherwise would never have walked through there, and they're in big trouble. See, we use money to ascribe value to things. If something's valuable to you, you'll pay for it. And so if you have money, that says you're valuable. Like this, like this guitar right here is, is way more expensive than I want you to know. Like it, it is. Uh, just to make sure I wasn't lying, I went on a, a website for resale, so like not even new, and it's like 2,300 bucks. Like that, that is not cheap. Some of you are like, how much does that guy make? Uh, not that much. I, uh, I, got it, I, got it for, I, I got it for less than that. Uh, had, a, had a 25% off coupon. So <laughs> now some of you are doing the math, you're just like, that's still a lot of money, you know? It was, I saved it up for a long time. Uh, but, and, and so, and, and so uh, we, th there's all kinds of things that we use uh, that, that we use to, uh, to, to say something about ourselves, and money is a, is a way that we do that. If a company finds you valuable, they'll pay you a certain salary. If you're no longer valuable to them, they'll either lower your salary or get rid of you. If you become more valuable to them, they will up your salary. That's what they do. So we tend to think that we're valuable when we have money. It, it gives us this false belief that we're safe. If I have so much money in my savings... I'm good. If I have so much in my retirement fund at 65, 70, 75, however long it's going to take for most of us to retire, we can kick back. We can, we can rest easy. But the reality is that riches do not provide any security whatsoever. Because here's the reality. God is the one who's in control of every molecule in the universe. He's the one who's in control of your heart beating right now. If God wanted your heart to stop, it would stop. There's no, nothing you could do about that. There's no amount of money that would save you there. The reason why you have breath in your lungs is because his mercy is on you in these moments. See, wealth can deceive us into believing that we're God. I can do what I want. I can, I can do what I want, when I want. I can provide safety. And, and it, it, it makes us believe that we can be like God. There's, this, there's a common notion that, that wealth corrupts, right? Like, oh, like the super rich people are corrupt because of their money. I don't, I don't believe that's true. Um, money isn't the problem. Sin is the problem. Money is a, is, a, is a tool that our flesh uses to flesh out its corruption, right? The reason why uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think that wealth corrupts is because humans are already corrupt. Money just gives them the resources to flesh out that, that corruption. It gives us a false per permission for that corruption to come out. And for the rich, that can definitely happen. Now, here, it, 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 there, there's maybe some folks in here who are kind of just nodding along to this, right? Like you're thinking about the 1%, right? The super wealthy. Like, yeah. They're in trouble. They need to watch it because they can, they can become dependent on their wealth. But I don't have to worry about it because I ain't rich. Here's the thing. I wanted to make sure that I got this right. And so I, I, I did way more research than I was expecting uh, to do on what the average person in the world lives on. Average person. Okay? Even taking into account, like, you know, cost of living and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it took me a long time. The vast majority of us in this room are crazy rich. I'm 
you all, like right here, like you don't have a dime to your name. You are crazy rich, comparatively speaking, to most of the world. Now, why would we compare ourselves to most of the world? I don't live in the world, like globally. I live in a place. I live in Richmond, Kentucky. I'm poor here in Richmond, Kentucky. Well, Jesus is not the Lord of people just in Richmond, Kentucky. He's the Lord of, of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So when we think about wealth, we think about riches, we think about money, we have to consider the entire ownership of God, what he owns. See, the audience here were poor agrarian folks who uh, would legitimately wonder if they would eat that day, right? So when he's talking to, to poor folks, they would look at us, in this day and time, they would look at us and go, they are so rich. They're richer than we could even dream. Every single person in here, the vast majority of us, at the very least, are the rich young ruler. I want you to see that. To be in the top 1% in the world, the top 1%, what do you think the salary would be to make each year? You don't have to answer. It's kind of rhetorical. 80000 60000 It's $34,000 a year. To be the 1%, most people in the world live on an average of $4,114 a year. That's, that's $11 a day. We are so rich. And so the reason, why we, the reason why I talk about that is because this warning is not for some abstract, super rich person that we don't even know. No, it's, it's for us. And we must be cautious because you're not poor if you don't get to eat at the restaurant you want to eat at. You're, you're poor if you don't get to eat. You're not poor if, if you don't get to, to go on vacation. You're poor if you don't have a, 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 any way to even leave your home. You, you're not poor because you don't have enough money to remodel the bedroom. You're poor if you don't have any place to live. Like that's poverty. That's what Jesus, that's what most of the people that Jesus would have been talking to would have experienced on a daily basis. See, our, our conception of, of richness and, and poorness is so far away from what they would have understood here. And so when they hear rich, they would have been thinking about us. Verse 26, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them. With man, it is impossible but not with God. For all things, all things are possible with God. The rich, just like the poor, enter the kingdom of God in the exact same way. And it goes back to the verses we read at the very beginning, starting in verse 13. Jesus looks at children. If you have kids, especially young ones, you know that they are completely and totally dependent for everything. Food, going to the bathroom, waking up, going to bed, etc., etc. They can do nothing for themselves. And Jesus looks at children and goes, that's how you need to be. Totally and completely dependent. See, when we have wealth, when we have money, and we seek to trust in those things, we forget that we are completely and totally dependent on God and we must come to the kingdom only through that dependence. When we forsake holding, and, 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 so, and so Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all, thing, for, for all things are possible with God. God is the one who can save you. That's it. Done. And he did that through his son, Jesus. Jesus, who had all riches, became poor for you. 
so that you can be rich in him. And so when we forsake holding on to our counterfeit wealth, whether it be money or influence or status or success, whether you find your identity and hope in being a great mom or a faithful husband or having other people like you or having a 4.0 GPA or, 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 or being a college graduate, and you use that as an affirmation of God's love for you, you have to realize that that is all trash before a holy God because there's only one who has been approved by God. There's only one that God has looked at and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And if you trust in him, you forsake trusting in what you can do, what your hands can create, what your hands can produce for yourselves, then you are also considered a beloved child. And so we trust not in what we can do, not in our riches, but instead in the grace of God through Jesus Christ where we find, and in that we find that true wealth comes from the rich young ruler. Look with me in verses 28 through 30. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. I love Peter. He just blurts things out. Like, I identify with Peter way more than I, than I would like to admit. And Jesus is, like, you know, so he sees this rich young ruler get rejected and turn, and turn away. And Peter's like, we didn't do that. Like, I'm, we're good, right? You know, he's freaking out a little bit. And Jesus is so compassionate and says, looks at him and says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus promises true riches for those who would give up on their own earthly riches. Jesus Jesus is the true rich young ruler. He's about 32 at this time. He was poor, but he was certainly a ruler. Before he came to earth, Jesus sat, sat down, not running around anxious about, uh, about what was going on in the world. No, he was sitting on his throne in all authority. He owned everything, everything. Every molecule that's dancing around that we can't see, he's the one who's directing where it goes. He's the author of wind. He says, all right, you start here and you go there. As it blows across the leaves, he's the, ones who determine, he's the one who determines the angle that those leaves will turn. He's the one that, as they rustle together, he's the one that created the sound waves that come from that. He owns everything. He was eternally rich. And what did he do? He did the thing that the rich young ruler couldn't. He gave away all that he had. Scripture tells us that, that for a time he, he, he gave up his power. He put it to the side and came down to walk on dirty ground. And he didn't come at a time like we live in where, where in a really affluent culture where he could have enjoyed the lap of luxury. He went to a poor redneck town, Galilee, and he grew up hard labor, didn't make any money. His minute, and during his ministry, he was, a, he was a preacher who had no home. He would just crash on people's couches. He had nothing, and yet he is eternally rich. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul 
tells us this beautiful passage. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, may become rich. There is no one on this earth who has experienced poverty like Jesus. No one has, has fallen farther from riches than Jesus, and he did so willfully. See, you and I, we may be materially rich or poor in this context. All of us are spiritually impoverished. We have no hope of earning enough moral wealth to pay off the debt that we owe to God. Jesus does. He totally fulfilled the law. The rich young ruler believed that he had fulfilled the law. He didn't, and he proved that by leaving. Jesus is the rich young ruler who fulfilled the law for you, and he loved you with a perfect, selfless love. See, even if the rich young ruler in this, in this passage had sold everything, let's say he did, it still would have been for a selfish motivation. And if that's what he was trusting in, because his whole point is, what can I do to inherit eternal life for myself? If you today sold your house, your car, your microwave, your whatever else you own, I don't know why microwave came out. They just did. <laughs> if you sold it all and you gave it all to the poor, that wouldn't save you because you would be doing it not because you love those folks, but because you love yourself. That's the reality of, our, of the human heart. It's so wicked. It's so deceptive. But if you forget trying to earn your way into the kingdom and you trust Christ, you have all the blessings that Jesus has. You will be rich Pastor Jeremy, during the offertory, read from Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who, is, who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. That's what you have in Christ. Immeasurable grace. And so the question for us is what will we trust? There's a promise here. There is no one who has left everything that they have and he goes deeper than money, mother, father, human relationships that matter more than us. And he says, if you leave that for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, there's none who will not receive a hundredfold in the age to come eternal life. This is true wealth, eternal, full fellowship with God himself. And so for those of us who trust in Christ, who, have, who, have placed, who, who are seeking to place our kingdom, what we can do, under the kingdom of God, how do we flesh this out? How, how do we think about our earthly wealth in light of the wealth we have in Christ? Are we to give it all away? Is it wrong to be materially rich? No, it's not. It's dangerous, but it's not sin, especially if you're rich in the kingdom. If you care about God's kingdom more than anything else. See, the issue isn't whether you're rich or poor, it's where you find your hope. So what are you resting in? And so what, so, so what we tend to do, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, is we elevate our kingdom, right? We put it up here. My life, everything around it, my relationships, my money, my home, my, my family, what I like to do. We put all that up here, and, and, and God's kingdom is over here on the side or down here. And when, and when God's kingdom comes and encroaches on our kingdom, we go, nope! That's not yours. That's mine. God owns everything. If you're a Christian, if you're seeking to follow Jesus, you submit all things to him. It 
So we, we submit our homes to him, our houses, for the sake of the kingdom. How do we do that? Instead of thinking of your house as a castle to protect you from the evils out there, you think of it as a hospital for sinners. You open the doors wide and you let them in. Some of you need to open up your homes and let a BFG come. Will the kids put a hole in your wall? I don't know, maybe. Who cares? It's drywall, wood, concrete, and metal. After you die, eventually, a bulldozer is going to take it all down. It's not going to last. The only thing that lasts is what is done for the kingdom of God, not your kingdom. You know, every now and then we have what we call ends of the earth giving, which is sacrificial giving. You give up something that you want so that you can give to the mission of Christ. Some of us need to start thinking there. We have college students. They didn't ask me to do this. We have college students who are going to the mission field this summer. They're raising support. They want your money so they can go share the gospel. And if you're, if you're like me, there's a part of you that goes, why don't you just get a job and then pay for it? But if everything we owe is for the kingdom, let's put it towards kingdom purposes. So you want to know how if you've made your kingdom, your riches, an idol? You get mad when God calls you to use it differently. Not for yourself. And so here's the reality. You have the eternal blessings of God. What do you have to lose? Trust Christ. And so here's some practical ways we can do this. One, we work to ensure we don't make the material the eternal. Our stuff, our homes, our cars, our our. our uh, uh, our savings accounts, whatever we have, are not idols to bow down to, but tools to be wielded for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Nobody buys a drill, puts it on their workbench, and then bows down to it. All hail the drill. Nobody does that. Why? It's a tool. It's, it's, it, it, its purpose is to fix things. Its purpose is greater than what it is. That's exactly what our stuff is in the kingdom of God. They're just tools. Your savings account is a tool to be wielded for the glory of God. Your home is a tool to be wielded for the glory of God. Use what's temporal for the eternal. And so we, 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 we practice this by, by giving our stuff away for the kingdom purposes. We, if it breaks, okay, no big deal. It's for the glory of God. Second thing is we make commitments to regularly give our kingdom away. You have to train yourself to do this. It doesn't come naturally. Here's the thing. If you're wondering, you know, do I trust in riches or do I not? You probably do. I do. I do. Err on that side. And so what you do is you train yourself. You give regularly. You make it a habit. We do that every single week. Every time this, that little wooden plate passes by you, it's an opportunity for you to, to deny yourself and give to the kingdom of God. And then you sacrifice what you want so you can give more. Don't buy the coffee. Don't buy the video game. Don't buy the more expensive clothes. And use that towards the cause of Christ. Jesus, the only one who's worthy of the kingdom of God, gave up his riches so that you could have those riches. Giving away your stuff doesn't save you. Jesus giving away all he had is what saves you. So to answer the question from the beginning, how much? How much is it going to cost for me to be right with God? 
It costs the eternal blood of the Son of God. And he shed it for you so that you could share in his riches. Trust him alone. Don't trust in what you can do. Give him what you have. Use it for his glory, his namesake, and watch in amazement what he does with it. Let's pray.